Sarah, are we going to sit around pulling our tallywhackers? Are we going to get this show started? Hello, and welcome to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. This week, we're talking about Young Guns from 1988. Hey, Holly. Hi, Sarah. Are you ready to talk about Young Guns? Yes. Awesome. I just remember like, you know, being a young girl watching this movie and being like excited because all the boys are so cute. That's like my main memory of it. But honestly, when I think about it, like if I think Young Guns, the image that pops into my mind is Val Kilmer. And then I realized actually that's Tombstone, you know, like before I watched it again, I was like, oh, that's a different movie. <laughs> but they came out around the same time, right? And it was like Westerns with so. handsome people in it. Yeah. I don't even know if I saw Tombstone. Oh, you had to, uh, you love Val. This. I know Val is like all time fave. Yeah, he was like Doc Holliday or something, and he was dying of tuberculosis or something the whole time. And I have no recollection of that movie <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Real yeah. genius, on the other hand. <laughs> oh, that's a better movie than Tombstone. <laughs> yeah, so what are your remembrances or thoughts about this movie? I didn't remember anything about the plot. Mm -hmm. Um, I had no recollection of any of the characters like traits or anything. (laughs) I just knew that there were a lot of men in it and that I felt like the movie was advertised for like teenage girls Yes, in a way. So it's like a West. I, I imagined it as like a Western that they conceived for teenage girls. I think it is. And I think that's so bizarre. I can't imagine like what inspired that idea, but obviously it was popular enough for them to make another one. So yeah, it had to be for girls because it's like my dad's not going to go watch a Western with Emilio Estevez in it, you know, like the casting's all wrong. Billy the Kid is Emilio Estevez. Yeah. So it was for girls. I mean, there's no other reason that I would have gone to watch a Western at the age of 10 other than to see like, like cute boys. Oh, totally. I feel like we saw this at the movie theater. I think we did. We must have. Then like the thing I remember, I think I was remembering uh, Young Guns too, because I don't remember mm-hmm. a lot of this movie. Like once I started watching it, I was like, none of this is ringing a bell except like um, I remembered like Lou Diamond Phillips. And I think I remembered that Emilio Estevez was in it, but I didn't remember Charlie Sheen. And right. I definitely didn't remember Dermot Mulroney. I was like, oh my God, I love and him. I had no idea he was in it. Dirty Steve. <laughs> yeah, and he was disgusting. He is, he is so consistently disgusting. I have never That's... been so completely traumatized by chewing tobacco in my entire life. <laughs> I have, but it was a close second. It was just constantly dripping down his face. It's so nasty. Wait, can I tell you a chewing tobacco story really fast? Yes, please. We're talking about being traumatized by it. <clears throat> I might have already told you this. I don't know, but it was a couple of years ago. I was getting on a plane, probably to go see either Dan or my family. And this girl sits down next to me. She's like my age, looks just like, you know, normal girl. And then she has a bottle of um, Mountain Dew oh, on the plane. Uh-huh. And she drinks it, like, really, really fast. And I was like, that's weird. She, like, chugged that thing down. And then the next thing I know, she puts, like, a big wad of chewing tobacco in her mouth. And she was what? using that bottle to, like, spit into the whole flight. Oh, it was, like, a 24-year-old, <laughs> like, college-looking girl. And I was just like, I've never seen this. <laughs> I never would have expected it. Maybe she is a chain smoker and one mm. of our friends was like, just get some chewing tobacco and suck on yeah, it. Yeah, those are terrible <laughs> friends. 
<laughs> Use <laughs> Nicorette or a patch, okay? Don't get chewing tobacco. Then I have to watch you spit into a bottle for three hours. It's disgusting. <sighs> I went on a second date with a guy in high school who pulled out a little honk and stuck some chewing tobacco in his lip. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, seriously. I was like, I don't do this. Oh, like during the date, you just. Yeah. I, was like, I, I don't, I was like, do you do this all the time? And he was like, yes. And I was like, I don't do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no. it's wise to just cut it off at that point. Then if you know, yeah. you don't want that. <clears throat> no hard feelings. <laughs> yeah. No hard feelings. But I mean, you're not going to be like interested in like kissing him exactly like, with tongue and then you'll get like a little piece of tobacco on your oh. <laughs> <laughs> and all that juice oh god i did try it like once in college because everybody talked about it mm-hmm. oh. it was like cherry flavored and i got like instantly dizzy i was like oh, oh god that's crazy oh. <laughs> i've never done that yeah that's like all the, the craziest thing wow I actually think that's more radical than like snorting cocaine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I'm pretty radical then because that's all I did. <laughs> I ended up really liking the guy that played Charlie. <clears throat> I can't yes. remember his name. I, I wrote it down somewhere. I don't remember him at all from before. And like when they were doing the beginning scenes where they like close up on their face and just hold the gaze and like, who's this guy? He's the pugilist. He's the pugilist. Yeah. (laughs) And then, um, but as the movie went on, I'm like, he's the cutest. He's the most adorable. And I liked him the most. You know, I didn't even remember him from before. You know, it's funny is that I had a feeling that you would say that. Really? <laughs> yeah, I did when I was watching it. Aww. There was this one moment when he was like with his with his uh wife, with his new wife. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, oh, I bet Sarah's gonna think he's adorable. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. <laughs> yeah, oh my I liked gosh. Him. Uh, Casey nice. Simaz Mm-hmm. I knew it had a lot of vowels and stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. And it also has, it has a S, a Z, a K, and an O at the end. Yeah. I thought he was the star of the show. He kind of is in a way. I've kind of felt like um, when we watched this movie that I know I remember being really disinterested and disappointed when we were kids. Mm, that's and how I, I felt this time. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like maybe that's why you didn't really remember it very well. Because mm-hmm. we were just sort of like, oh my God, like there's just like a lot of repetitive shooting motions and everyone looks kind of gross and dirty. So they're <laughs> they're not even like attractive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just remembered. It being like a huge disappointment. As a but we went back for the second girl. one, I'm sure. Well, we did go back for the second yeah. one. <laughs> Let's give these guys one more try. Oh my gosh! So, do you want to do you want to do a quick movie summary? Oh sure. Um, okay, so there's this group of young men. They're living like out in the desert, and they're in. Nebraska, I believe. Honestly, I don't remember. It looks like Arizona or something. So, yeah, maybe it's Arizona. So there's these young guys, and then they work for this wealthy British man, and he owns a ranch, and they're called the Regulators, which I did not realize that that was what the rap song was taking the little quote and lyrics from. And so when I heard Charlie talking, like, we're regulators, we regulate, and he's stealing on this property. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the song. (laughs) I never knew. I didn't make the connection. So that was exciting. Probably the most exciting moment of the movie for me was realizing it was the regulator song (laughs) inspiration. 
And then so these guys, they like, you know, guard the cattle and all of that. Well, there's another wealthy businessman in town who wants to take over the ranch and he brings all his goons and he's threatening the guy like, get out of town. I do all of the cattle around here. And it turns into like a showdown. They end up killing the British men. And then so the young guns want revenge and they get deputized to go find all the people who killed their, you know, boss, basically. And then it turns into like just killing, killing, killing. And someone gets married and then there's more killing (laughs) and they don't get to keep the ranch. Oh, but at the end, a woman becomes like one of the most Mm -hmm. famous and wealthy ranchers in the country. Exactly. So that's cool. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That is it. Yeah. I actually have like a few memories of watching this movie. One memory I had was that I was really, really excited because Kiefer Sutherland was in it. Yes. And I really had a crush on Kiefer Sutherland when Mm -hmm. I was like 10. Is this pre-Lost Boys? Um, No, I think Lost Boys came out the year before. Okay. I I think so too. And then also um, Stand By Me, where he plays a terrible person. Yeah. (laughs) So when I was a kid and I had a crush on Kiefer Sutherland, he was always in these movies where he played a jerk. And it actually made me start to get, I was a little alarmed. Like, am I going to like mean people? Like, am I going (laughs) to be, because I knew like I did, I thought his character was despicable and stand by me in particular, but I was also like, Hmm, can't wait till Mm -hmm. I'm a teenager. (laughs) And this movie is really sweet. Yeah. So that was nice and refreshing. But I also remembered that when we watched this movie, that I was actually really interested in it until John Turnstall, the Englishman, played by their boss. Play, he's played by Terrence Stamp, who's one of my all-time favorite actors. Oh, nice. Um, but I remembered being really intrigued by their boss and then when he died I lost interest in the movie yeah he was like a nice comforting character he was educating them and like trying to teach them manners teaching them to read Mm -hmm. he seemed like a great guy and then he was just slaughtered yeah it was awful so I knew it was gonna happen when I was re-watching it I haven't I seriously haven't seen it since we watched it yeah. Probably at the movie theater. <laughs> 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 and I was like, I knew it, but I knew it was coming and I just felt really sad about it. And I knew it was going to get really, really loud and like just a lot of gunfire. And then it felt really deflated. And I feel like I what I really wanted out of this movie is if they just lived on the on the ranch so they just live on the ranch and they work for for John it's like just sort of a really boring story about how they interact mm-hmm. because the characters are actually really well developed in this movie strangely like there are things about this movie about young guns that is like really has a lot of depth that I wasn't expecting because I thought it was just going to be more of like a shallow shoot up movie. Yeah. But there were a few subplots that I feel like had significance that it was a lot deeper than look at the beefcakes we got in Hollywood to be in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so Mr. Murphy, who's, the cattleman who has the deeper pocket and has his men kill John, he is the corporation mm-hmm. in this country, lining the pockets of politicians, getting the laws twisted to suit his financial greed, and just completely fucking over. 
anyone who's actually trying to live what the United States of America tells you that you're supposed to get, which is the freedom to be your own fucking boss. From someone who's never touched a gun. (laughs) Oh, I have. Oh, God. Do you want to hear about my gun experience? Sure. Okay. So, um, I was um, trapped in a relationship with someone who was extremely unhinged. Oh, yeah. And he had a gun that his father gave him as a present. Mm-hmm. And he had threatened me with it a few times, like pointed it at me when I knew it was loaded. Oh my God. Um, and then the last time it happened, he held it to my head. Mm-hmm. And I just skipped timelines. I don't know what the fuck happened, but the next thing I know, I was out in my car. So anyway, after that, I had already had like where I was like, I am never touching a gun. I think guns are disgusting. Like they make me sick, you know. But after that happened, I found a shooting range Hmm. and I watched Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood. (laughs) and then I went to the shooting range and I was like, give me a revolver. I did not get the dirty Harry gun because that thing's like really, really big. (laughs) I just Mm -hmm. got like a little six shooter revolver, you know, and I just would go in there like once or twice a week for a few months until I just felt like I wasn't, I desensitized myself. Yeah. Guns. Um, I also had an offer to shoot a fully automatic weapon in oh the shooting God. range because the guy there was a guy in there that had one when I was in there one time, and uh, he was actually a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, "Do you want to shoot it?" And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I am totally fine with this little revolver. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but That's I did too much. I did also shoot the gun, like not the actual gun, but the kind of gun that was like that I was threatened with. Mm-hmm. Um, that was actually the first gun that I rented. At the range I went. Because you can like go there and rent guns. So I went there and I rented that specific Glock model. I don't know. It was a it's a semi-automatic um, handgun. Um and I just did it because I was like, I'm gonna fucking do this. <laughs> uh and then now I just sort of feel like meh about guns. Wow. So it was a good lesson. It sounds like it. Yeah. It was a good, let me put it this way. It was a good lesson I gave myself because I took some, I took a situation because I'm not giving that guy any credit. I took a situation where somebody was acting completely from a, like a base emotional place of fear. Right. And I, and they, they wounded me with that. And then I took that and I made the decision that I was going to do one better than them and desensitize myself to it, you know? So that's how I handled that particular situation. It didn't like cure me at all. I mean, but it, I mean, it did with the gun thing. Wow. So that's amazing. I think that's a pretty powerful technique. I mean, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I was also um, during that time period, uh, like 
drinking a lot of alcohol too. <laughs> Not at the mm-hmm. gun range. I would go there sober, but, <laughs> but afterwards. Uh-huh. So I wasn't really coping very well, but I at least had the smarts to know that I needed to immediately go desensitize myself. So I didn't get scared of it and let it build up in my head to where mm-hmm. actually, because like, you know, what could happen, like what could have happened? Cause I already had a weird thing about guns is that it could have went in the other direction and I could have been so scared of gun. It could have built up so much that when I would see a gun on a TV show, even it might be a trigger for like PTSD symptoms, mm-hmm. which did not happen. But I think that it didn't happen because I went and I did that and I, I don't know. The guys at the gun range were all really nice and just like, I never felt weird there. Well, I knew about some of the other stuff, like the situation, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know about you going to the gun range and everything. Yeah, I kind of forget about it. And then every once in a while, I'll be like, I'll see somebody shoot a gun and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is I'm a really good shot. (laughs) Nice. I'm like naturally a good shot. I actually think that's why those guys, because when I walked into that place, they were like, what the fuck is this girl doing here? And, yeah. and I was like, oh, I need it. I need this gun right here. You know, I was real specific about it, too. And I was like, "I show me how to use it. Like, I'm and I've never done this before. Da, da, da. And um, so the guy's like, oh, good. You know, great. It taught me that I I could defend myself against someone like I could defend myself against him on his terms. Yeah. But that I chose not to. It's like I'm qualified to use this weapon and I'm good at it, but I choose not to do that because I choose love over fear. I feel like that was what was at conflict a lot at this in this movie too. They're all trying to work together to get to avenge the death of their leader, John, and they're deputized. And Billy, the kid, Emilio Estevez, he takes the lead. And he takes the lead because he's a murderer and he likes killing. That's first and foremost. It suits his uh, image as a you know humble robin hood type that who loves publicity it suits his image to have a noble cause but if there wasn't one he would just make one up cuz he's a killer like that's what he likes to do did you get that yeah. impression from him no yeah you're right <clears throat> yes he wanted to kill I mean, he killed other people for no reason, even while they were out on their mission. Like, he was just looking for an excuse to murder someone. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I was like, am I supposed to buy this? Like, he's leading his men into this noble cause of avenging the death of their of their wonderful leader. But it never felt that way. It always just felt like, I'm going to take any opportunity I see to get myself as much publicity while simultaneously killing as many people as I can. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Okay. He was just like a wild card. They were always trying to rein him in and they couldn't. Like they tried to reason with him and he was just trigger happy. One of the guys was like, hey, when he when Billy first got back to the camp, he was like, hey, Billy, why why did you kill that man? Because Billy was escaping because he had already killed somebody. And Billy said he was hacking on me like he was just giving me a hard time. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like that sets up his character like right off the bat. Oh, yeah, because he said that to Charlie and Dirty Steve after they had been like teasing him and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was like threatening them. Yeah, yeah, like the, his first night there at the dinner table. He was like reading because John's like, you need to read for the new world that's coming into being. Like everybody has to be, is going to have to be literate to be s- successful. And so he's like teaching these boys to read because they're all like, you know, young adults and with varying degrees of intellectual capabilities. <laughs> yeah. 
um, I liked that Carly and Dirty Steve were giving Billy a hard time about being smart because Mm -hmm. like Dirty Steve is actually pretty dumb. And then Charlie's not dumb, but he goes, this is like one of, this is one of my favorite. I love that so much. So Charlie's like, he goes, I'm a pugilist. Do you know what that means? <laughs> like the intellectual boxer. <laughs> like the way he said it was like, I'm smarter than you because I know what this word means. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you you do not know what pugilist means. I just love it so much. What a hilarious yeah. joke to me. He's adorable. Yeah. And he's really sweet. And uh, Kiefer is really sweet. Doc. Charlie Sheen's character, Dick, is really sweet. And Dick is like the lead. He's like the natural leader. So John gets killed by Murphy because Murphy plays dirty. And he doesn't want to have any healthy competition. He just wants to annihilate anything that stands in his way. Because he likes the kill. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Billy the Kid. And we've got Dick, who are the two that are sort of subtly battling it out for the leadership position after John gets killed, right? Dick is like a very conscientious person. He's very fair and does not want people to get hurt. He He wants people to be safe. And he wants to take things slow and be rational and think it out and make the best decision so that everybody's safe and it's fair. He's like John. But instead, he gets killed because of some dumb shit that Billy the Kid pulls because Billy has to kill people and cause a stir. And so in that way, it's it's pretty much the same scenario played over again on a smaller scale. Of mm-hmm. the brutal person is the one that wins out. Yep. That's what happened. And it's disheartening. It is. Because that is how the West was won. Right. And it's how shit's working now. They're trying to decide what they should do. If they should just like skip town. Because at that point, like people are after them because Billy's just been murdering people all over the place and they're going to lose their deputy status because of Mm -hmm. him. So they're like, maybe we need to just flee to Mexico. And then Billy like wants to go back to Lincoln or wherever and like kill more people and kill the attorney general and just kill, kill, kill. And then, uh, then Lou Diamond Phillips, who is like, they call him Navajo. Mm-hmm. But then they also call him like the Mexican or something. Well, he's they? he's both. Yeah. So they call him by like both of those names yes. at different times. And then um, if anybody's mad at him, they just grab that as an insult, quote unquote, as an yeah, as a slur. Like it's mainly Dirty Steve that calls yeah. him that. It seems like. But I thought it did a really good job of like showing just how incredibly stupid it is to be racist they did a good job it was pro-native it was which i was another thing i did remember from this movie because i i felt like we were both very aware of that our country was founded on bullshit lies (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that there was a whole stolen land situation and a lot of people that were here first Anything, anytime that like something about natives, oh, I should say where it told the truth about the yeah. situation, like I, I remember it stands out. It's true. They did do a good job with that. Letting him give a speech to like educate the other young guns about what was happening um, and what had happened to his people and how their land was stolen and they were basically starved. 
Because Billy the Kid was giving him a hard time, like, you don't even care about this mission or this land. Yeah. And he was like, um, I care more than anyone. Yeah. The whole um, family was slaughtered and starved. And this matters a lot to me, more than you could ever know. Yes. So calm down, Billy. So, yeah, I thought it was really nice. They let him give, like, a speech about that in this movie. Um, because I don't think that got that happened very often up until that point. No, really. it didn't. Especially yeah. in a western, you know. Yeah, it might have been one of maybe the first time I ever saw mm-hmm. such a thing in a movie. It was good. So that's probably the best part of the whole movie. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so Lou Diamond Phillips, I saw I saw him with there's like this little patch of snow. And he and I was like, oh, there's peyote. And he <laughs> and I was like, oh, they're gonna take peyote? Like, I don't remember this part. <laughs> really? I was like, no. And then they did. And then it was really great because I felt like it was a pretty accurate representation of what it's like to be on a quest in that way. That I've been around people who were tripping that had never before observed other realms mm-hmm. besides like a very surface kind of consciousness where things were just like, there's some material and you do this thing over and over. And it's like, I don't know how to describe it, but it was interesting because the people that were tripping in the movie, the different characters, I felt like they were all very like, pretty much how they would probably act if they were really tripping. And I thought that was a very well thought out decision. And like that, I just feel like the, even though this movie is like kind of boring, um, even there's all this act, there's all these action scenes and there's all this shooting, but did you notice not much blood? Oh yeah. Except for that one scene. Whenever there was the guy who had like come from Murphy's group to join their group. And so they already kind of didn't trust him. And then Billy, the kid was like, Oh, I saw that look that you just gave to Murphy's men. And I don't trust you. And Mm -hmm. he suddenly just like blew the guy's head off. And then the brains like splattered all over Kiefer Sutherland's face. Mm -hmm. It's very brutal. Mm -hmm. Gory. But other than that, yeah, there wasn't a lot of blood. I was kind of glad that they did put a scene in that really did show the consequences of murder mm-hmm. because you get a really genuine horror and just complete like disgust and the inhumanity that you that Kiefer Sutherland like projects when he is like splattered with blood. Of his mm. friend, because he sees this guy, he sees Garrett the, as a friend, like he trusted him. Mm-hmm. Like, so not everybody thought Garrett was a spy. Right. Billy thought Garrett was a spy. Mm-hmm. And in another way, this movie is like, it's a version of a domestic abuse family dynamic. Oh. Because Everyone very quickly, like all of the other men around Billy, quickly realize that they need to adapt their behaviors so that Billy doesn't lose his shit and kill somebody. Oh, my God, you're right. Maybe they're not like, oh, no, we don't want Billy to, like, beat up Charlie but instead, they're like, oh, my God, we don't want Billy to shoot anybody else. So now our whole lives have become about how do we manage this guy who has a gun, who basically turns into a deranged toddler and wants to kill everyone. So that's You're also right. interesting. <laughs> it is. They're like walking on eggshells to not set him off. Some of them just want to move on with their lives. If Billy wasn't so violent, so they witnessed Billy killing their companion, Garrett, you could be next. Exactly. 
He's the judge, jury, and executioner. Mm -hmm. You better just do what he says. And if that dynamic wasn't there, like if if Dick hadn't been killed and Dick had been in charge, like Dick would have been like, everybody needs to do what they need to do because you're all individuals and I don't own you. Some of them would have gone further west and some of them probably would have stayed. Oh, I just thought it was like funny and ironic that during the peyote scene, Charlie Sheen was the only one that didn't do the drugs. I know. (laughs) 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 He's the responsible one. (laughs) I bet that was like hilarious for him too. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably like an inside joke for everybody. (laughs) You want to talk about this whole Kiefer Sutherland and Yin, the romantic interest? Yes, I do. I was just thinking about that because I wrote down one of his poems. Yes. It's one of the few things I actually wrote down. <laughs> so Kiefer Sutherland is a poet. He's like the sensitive, sweet one. And then he sees Yen, this beautiful girl from China at the, like they're having a big party for New Year's Eve or something, like the whole mm-hmm. town. Yes. And she's with Mr. Murphy, the big evil cattleman. And then Kiefer Sutherland Doc goes up to her at the dance and like asks her to dance. And he doesn't realize that, like, she's basically become the property of Mr. Murphy because he basically stole her from her parents because they ruined his dry cleaning or something. Like, that's yes. the story. Yeah. Which is so that's terrible. It's so terrible, but it's, like, so true that that could have happened at that oh, time. Yeah. And then he just calls her, like, China girl. Mr. Murphy just yeah. calls her, like, China girl. Yeah. Also terrible, but also accurate for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so Doc is dancing with her. And he basically is like love at first sight, you know. And then so he's like, I'm a poet. <laughs> 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 he's trying to impress her with a poem. He's like, so shows the snowy dove trooping with crows as yonder lady or her fellows shows. Like, that's his poem for her. And I'm just like... What? I, like, literally turned on the closed captioning and, like, wrote it down. Because I'm like, what is he saying? (laughs) I feel like he's saying, like, she's a beautiful snowy dove surrounded by ugly crows. But Mm -hmm. then, as yonder lady or her fellows shows... Maybe that, maybe like the closed captioning just was interpreting things a little bit wrong. And then he was mm. saying like, you're as yonder lady, you mm-hmm. showing around her fellows, like you're showing yourself as the beautiful dove around these fellows who are just ugly crows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's my interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine if you did not speak English all that great? And then Mm -hmm. some guy was, like, hounding you repeatedly, like Kiefer does in this movie. And he just, like, keeps bombarding you with esoteric poetry. Yeah. (laughs) She did give him a really funny look in the movie, which I like. She's like, what the hell are you saying? Yeah, I liked her a lot. (laughs) So later she's, like, walking down the streets. Um, probably going back to Mr. Murphy's or whatever, and then he sees her and he grabs this like really sad looking bouquet of <laughs> desert weeds, basically. And he like approaches her and he's like, It was so it was the worst bouquet in <laughs> cinematic history. And then he's like, Look at these flowers, and he's like shoving them in her face, and she's like, I've gotta go, like, I'm gonna get in huge trouble for talking to you. I barely even know you. And then he's like, come on. And then he's basically like, fine, if you don't want these flowers, then tell Murphy that, you know, I don't know. He just like takes it out on her. And he's like, dude, she barely knows you. She's in a really compromising position. She's basically being held prisoner by this old rich white dude. 
And if he sees her with you, she's going to get in big trouble. Yeah. Probably like be beaten or something. But he (laughs) he says something like it's it's sort of like, well, at least I'm not at least somebody doesn't own me or like at least I wasn't sold or Mm. I swear I wrote. I wrote down somewhere in my notes because I was like, God, that's so rude. But maybe I didn't actually write Mm -hmm. it down. Um, It does get uncomfortable and he does like turn on her quickly. And it's like another case of like, well, you're not instantly falling in love with me and my shitty bouquet. Then fine. I'm going to like turn aggressive towards you. Totally. It's like whenever some guy is like hitting on you and then you're just like, I'm super not interested, like very <laughs> politely, like not interested, like don't waste your time, like go elsewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the like fucking bitch. Yeah. That was the old West really? equivalent of that interaction. Exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but then he quickly was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like he apologized. And it's like, um, eh. I don't know. Yeah, I if he's feel gonna like turn that quickly. I feel like what happened there is that his John, his mentor who died, taught him better than how he was acting, mm-hmm. and he like thought of it like, wait a second, this is not how a gentleman treats a lady. Mm-hmm. Because all of these guys are rough. They've been polished by John. And so that's why I actually really like these characters. Because they have this like weird, like shiny veneer that John has like put on them through his like education for them to become gentlemen. Like in a way, John was providing them with a finishing school. And like a British gentleman's education of how to be in the world. And so even Dirty Steve has these weird pretensions (laughs) that John has taught him, these like manners. And they come out in these really funny ways. and And it's like pretty consistent that the different characters like have their own little way of doing that. And I felt like, so that was sort of like a, spirit of john moment when he was like wait a second i'm being a jerk i feel like if somebody is that quick to turn on you i'm still kind of like yeah not a great look no especially not it's just like not understanding how much she could get in trouble Mm -hmm. because all he was concerned about was himself in that moment and like gratifying his need for her attention, you know? Exactly. Some things never change. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, going back to John Tonstall and how he was pretty much being like a finishing school and refining them and giving them education to become gentlemen, I thought it was really good that they emphasized that he did not try to like take the native out of Lou Diamond Phillips and his character mm-hmm. and he still honored his traditions and all of that because especially during that time it was just like that was you know the norm that was the mission yeah it's like kill the native save the man yeah and, and that wasn't happening so that was another good thing it's so awful i know it's beyond it's like oh my god whenever people look at the state of politics in this country i'm like are you really fucking surprised do you remember how we all got here mm-hmm. like you think that you think that energy isn't just lingering there oh my god so you have to listen to this podcast this land have you heard it it's so good you know they could have just put a white girl in that role but they didn't. They chose to put a Chinese woman in that role and to teach everybody that's watching that movie that there were Chinese people out West that helped build the West that we mm-hmm. know today. Their blood, sweat, and tears. 
this was the lot for a lot of people for women yeah she created like just a material good so i thought that was interesting and like progressive murphy calling her china like he doesn't even bother to learn what her name is like the old west wasn't just like all people that you should be looking up to and you know what I mean? No, it's like it's so much- romanticized and it's like this shows a lot of the reality of the murders and senselessness going on. Yeah. I mean, the West was won by a bunch of people that have cluster B personality disorders, okay? Yeah, and one is in quotation marks. <laughs> There's an asterisk next to the word the West was won. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really count. What the fuck? <laughs> but I think this movie <laughs> does show that. Murphy is like, nothing will ever be big enough or good enough for him to feel one little ounce of security or safety. That's how gone this guy is from... Like that level of humanity that we have where we look at another human being and we can look in their eye and like acknowledge that we're souls and that we're breathing together. And Murphy's got none of that because Murphy's like every single human I see is a threat. They're all going to hurt me. I can't trust anybody. So therefore I'm going to hurt them first. And I'm going to take everything I can get because they're just going to do that to me. So I better do it first. And it's interesting that they got um, Jack Palance. Mm -hmm. Because I associate Jack Palance with like those old Westerns where the West was one and the white guys are the heroes. And like, no, you need a stiff upper lip. Like, that's what it is to be a real man. It's almost like they put the Old West propaganda on trial through the character of Murphy when they put Jack Collins in that role. Does that make sense? Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's funny because I actually found this movie, like I said before, like I thought this movie was really boring in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. But I also was, like, really impressed with it in a lot of ways that I was not expecting. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. There were, like, a few shining moments, but most of the time I was bored. And I was just like, this is the most boring movie that we've watched so far. (laughs) I remember pausing it at one point and being like, oh, my God, there's still 48 minutes left. Oh my god. Like, shouldn't this be wrapping up? (laughs) I knew I knew I was in trouble because I was perfectly fine as long as Terrence Stamp was in the in the movie, right? As soon as he got killed, it was like about five minutes later, I was like I started to pause it and see what how much time was left. Then then I noticed at that point. I was I know, I was like, oh boy. (laughs) So it was a rough ride. That's a rough ride, especially when Dirty Steve was on Uncle <laughs> there. Dirty Steve. I just kept oh trying God. to see like Cutie Pie Dermot Mulrooney through all of oh. that grime and tobacco juice. It was legitimately impossible for me. Yeah, it was, they did a good job making him look terrible. It was it was incredible. Okay, and the other thing, okay, that I thought was interesting, so Billy the Kid, Emilio Estevez as, as Billy the Kid, right? Emilio Estevez as Billy the Kid. That's laughable. It was painful to watch. But was it? Why was it painful for you to watch? I don't know. His accent was like, I couldn't take it. Billy the Kid, okay, what he does in Young Guns should be really nerve-wracking. And I should be, like, on the edge of my seat because I'm like, fuck, what is this guy going to do? Because he's scary. Like, do you did you ever see that movie, uh, California with a K? 
it's not, it's just called California, but it's spelled with a K with Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis and David Duchovny. Oh yeah. Cause in that movie, there was always this um, underlying sense that like he was just going to snap and like kill somebody, but you, you feel it even in that movie. Cause I, I think Brad Pitt does a good job there where it's like, I felt like nervous through the whole movie because I, even when he was being really nice, I felt nervous. And so it made it a really interesting watch. And I was like, never paused it to see how much was left. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I thought of that movie, but it, for some reason I did, but I was like, that was the kind of tension that I needed from this Billy the kid. And why did, why wasn't it there? Because all of the stuff that Billy the Kid does in this movie is, like, psychotic. It's, like, really scary. But when I'm watching (laughs) it, I'm just sort of like, oh, okay, he shot some people. Like, why am I not feeling this at all? Mm -hmm. Why do you you think? think? Because Emilio is, like, so baby-faced and innocent-looking or what? I just, I feel like that sort of tension, to hold that sort of tension... And like convey it to an audience through film. It takes a particular type of actor and not every actor is that kind of an actor. I feel like the role should have been reversed. Like Charlie Sheen should have been Billy the Kid. Yeah. Because I think he would be better at having like that where he seems friendly, but there's like, you know, that underlying tension within him. Mm -hmm. More seething. Something he's hiding. Well, because with Emilio Estevez playing, the, I guess the reason I was questioning, like, why is there no tension here for me mm-hmm. was because I because there were points where I could not figure out if they were trying to encourage us to believe that Billy the Kid is a hero character and not the villain. Because to me, Billy the Kid is actually the villain in the film. Or he's one mm-hmm. of the villains. Then he and, was spinning it to say that, like, oh, I'm just going to keep killing until I get the president's attention. Like, he was doing it for, mm-hmm. yeah, like, noble causes, like you said. Yeah. But There's nothing Really, he just wanted it. to be in the paper. I mean, and he had his basically... picture taken and was trying to give it to people. Like, here's my picture. Here's my picture. <laughs> he's a serial famous killer. Someday. <laughs> yeah. If you were a serial killer, but it was like in the Wild West, then you're a hero instead. Yeah, that's I'm like, is that what so was (laughs) that the message of the movie? Because if if they had somebody who could hold tension, I would know this guy is not the hero. But because they had an actor who's not holding that tension and who's very baby faced. I'm like, are we supposed to believe these speeches or what? Like I was, it was confusing to me. I don't know. I feel like at that time it was still just like Billy the Kid, like everyone knows him. And it's like, why do we even all know him? I don't even know, but we just do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, I mean, I always went to Silver Dollar City as a kid every year where it's like all Old West themed and they're like gun shows and stuff. And so it's just like, oh, cool. Billy the Kid. And I think he's just like, I don't know, famous, infamous, notorious, but like famous. And you're just supposed to, I think you are supposed to kind of think he's cool, like, even though he's not. It's like this, um, the United States has this like romanticizing the underdog and identifying as though we're always the underdog because we escaped from the clutches of Britain. Yeah. Therefore we are forever the underdog and we should just be automatically rooted for. Mm-hmm. And that's the message I always got growing up. I felt like, yeah, I mean, it's- what was so bad in Britain compared to what we did to the people when we got here? <laughs> Let's look at who's really worse. <laughs> they wanted you to pay more taxes or something. And then you uh, just came here and were like, we can't handle that. We're just going to go wipe out a race instead and take this place. Yeah. Yay us. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Tonight. 
It's <laughs> 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 you um, just have to hiss. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you have like a favorite quote? I mean, on the one hand, I feel like just my favorite quote because it's a hilarious joke was Charlie's delivery of I'm a pugilist (laughs) (laughs) as the intellectual boxer. I just really love that. But for the sums up the 80s. And into today, my favorite quote is, Jesus Christ, this country needs a hero. (laughs) Which is what Dick said right before he was mercilessly slaughtered by Murphy's men. Oh, man. How about you? Mine, I think, was also from Charlie. It's very crude, but it was after Billy went nuts and, like, killed someone else of (laughs) Murphy's men. And then Charlie's like, Murphy's going to want blood, brains, and balls for that one <laughs> as, like, revenge. I'm pretty sure Charlie the Pugilist said that. I love that. Or the poet. That was your favorite. <laughs> it's not my favorite. It's just so, like, striking and graphic. <laughs> just, like, it stood out. I love it. It's gross. <laughs> it is gross. My favorite would have to be the poem, I guess. You know, the other thing about, I guess, like I was thinking, was there anything else I wanted to say about about Young Guns? So you have a group of people and they come, they immigrate. So we've got a British guy, honestly, (laughs) immigrating. Um, We've got, and then we've got his band of misfits that he's groomed into these wily gentlemen of the West, right? They're all trying to make an honest living by by raising cattle. They're feeding the people of the West and doing something good for their community. They're trying to participate in the promise of the American dream. And then we've got Murphy, who's been here longer, damn it. I'm I'm here longer, and that means I'm entitled to whatever I want, and that means that I get to push you out and do whatever I want and brutalize you because I was here first. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, that reminds me of like, oh, I don't know, when Irish people <laughs> immigrated over here, when the Italian people immigrated over here. Um, when African people were forced to live here and be slaves and then forced into neighborhoods that were really fucked up and basically no opportunities given all of that stuff. It just reminded me of that because then what happened? These boys who were trying to make an honest living, they had to turn to crime. Ooh, yeah. Because they didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. the system forced them into being outlaws. And that's the same thing that happens with any sort of gang activity, mm-hmm. organized crime activity. You know, a lot of it is just rooted in the fact that they're forced out of the regular economy. That's interesting. Well, nice. I had a lot of, I had a lot of time to think while those men were getting shot. Mm. I like your take on things. Thanks. That'd be pretty awkward if you realized you didn't like my take on things. <laughs> what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> and then it turned into like a weird debate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I disagree with everything you say. <laughs> this is awkward. Maybe a question would be like, have you ever had like in your group of friends, that one friend who's always just going ham and like going off. And it's like, you know, when you go out with him for the night, something's going to happen. What a great question. I think everyone has, or at least knows (laughs) someone like that. Right. I've got like five stories. (laughs) (laughs) Like who is your personal friend group, Billy, the kid, hopefully on a more tame level than, we had one in junior high. 
Yeah. Okay. Obviously, I edited out this girl's name. So Sarah and I went. (laughs) Sarah and I went to school with somebody in junior high, and we will call them Tina. And Tina. This was the summer between seventh and eighth grade. She she tried to convince us to put on makeup. Like a lot of, she's like, you have to put on, now this is only going to work if you put on a lot of makeup. (laughs) And then the brilliant idea was to walk two blocks down her street where her whole family lived to the bar where us children would get in to the bar because we were wearing a lot of makeup. This was her brilliant idea. Oh my God. I lives two blocks this out. She lives two blocks from the bar. It was the Which bar. bar was it? It was on my the- corner. <laughs> oh my God. The green and white bar has been there forever. <laughs> I mean, it actually might've worked. <laughs> wow. Did we put on the makeup? No. I was okay. like, this is absurd. <laughs> the fact that you think this might work is indicates that there might be something wrong with you. <laughs> Actually, we got in a fight and that was kind of like the end of my friendship with her. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, this is not a good idea at all. So that was the first thing I thought of. That was my Billy the Kid story. That's awesome. But I like that you blocked it out. I think I did. It's hilarious, though. I love that story. I know you were there. <laughs> because because whenever she was like, you have to put on a lot of makeup for it to work. <laughs> yeah. We were like looking at each other like, oh my God, she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know that we're only 12, but with enough eyeliner, we could easily look 21. <laughs> oh my God. She did get like off the rails, if I remember. I don't oh. think I hung out with her very much longer after that. Cause I was too like afraid to do really bad things during that time. She would have like people over drinking at her house and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm scared. Stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really did. I mean, I wasn't like a prude, obviously, in high school, but right. I knew the things you don't do to get mm-hmm. in trouble. <laughs> And she wanted to do all of the stuff that is classic teenager move that all the adults already know and are Mm -hmm. looking for and that you're (laughs) going to be guaranteed to get in trouble for. (laughs) Oh, God, I wish that we would have done it like three, like 12 and 13 year olds walking into a (laughs) bar, probably like during the day. (laughs) i was like five feet tall okay i mean (laughs) would not have worked (laughs) yes so the question is did you ever have a friend in your group of friends who would just like go off go ham go rogue and anytime you went out with them you knew that something was going to end up happening by the end of the night they would end up in trouble or in jail or in a fight or something like your version of having a Billy, the kid in your gang. If you did let us know about them. And if it was you definitely let us know (laughs) (laughs) and email us at cover your eyes podcast at gmail.com. Well, everybody gets away except for poor Alex, the, the lawyer, not everybody. Oh, wait, who else dies? Charlie. Oh, yeah, Charlie. I knew that. <laughs> Damn it. How dare you? I'm sorry. <laughs> what a jerk. I know. You can tell me what I thought was cute. The lawyer, Alex? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was so sweet. Yeah. You've got strange tastes. I <laughs> So, yeah, Charlie dies, of course. Like, on his wedding day, they, like, guilt him into going. Mm-hmm. And actually, they tried to tell him, like, you don't have to go, you don't have to go. Mm-hmm. But 
he was like felt unified and like the brotherhood and so he had to go right and then he died yeah i remember that so, so then at the it, end i looked it up and i was like is this real like is there a real oh, charlie yeah. whatever and all i i didn't go further sorry but i did see like that there was a real like the alex the guy that died, the attorney general or whatever he was. Yeah. He was real. Oh. And I think all of them were real. Yeah. I just didn't get into researching any further. Right. You know what? See if, what the real Charlie looks like. Yeah. What? Oh, I was just thinking whenever somebody sends us a letter, that'll be a good time to do more research on the real. Yeah. 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 I hope we get a story about a crazy friend. <laughs> Me too. So basically, all of the cute, the cutest men in the movie died. Charlie, yeah. John, and Alex. The award for most beautiful man goes to Lou Donald's, clearly. I mean, because after you and I watched La Bamba, I remember we were like so hard in love with him. How did we get out? We not talked about about our crush on Lou Diamond Phillips oh until God, just I don't now. Know. I remember us like, or at least me. I remember I like cried in that movie. We were like, me too. Brutal, and I was like, Reggie. I love Lou Diamond Phillips so much. Me too. Yeah, we have to watch that movie. You're right. I know, it was Ho- so good. Is Buddy Holly, does he make an appearance in that mm-hmm. movie? Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, we got to watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a box of tissues for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so clearly, I mean, Lou Diamond Phillips, hello. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then at the very end, uh, Alex's wife, Susan, becomes a powerful cattle rancher because... They kill Murphy and a bunch of other people and they all go down in a blaze of glory, except that they live another day to make young guns too. <laughs> now with Bon Jovi. <laughs> Bigger, better Bon Jovi. <laughs> it must be better. And I feel like that is the one I remember the most, but I don't know if I'm like watching it <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs> right. <laughs> One a year is good enough. Before, I thought we could do something mellow in a mm-hmm. way before we started our Halloween horror month. We hope you guys like scary movies. You don't have to watch them. Yeah, we'll cut out the scary parts for you. Yeah, we'll make fun of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you won't be scared. <laughs> yeah, you can reshape your childhood experiences through yeah. there. That's what I feel like we've been doing. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Do you want to do the after show? Um, yes. Regulators. Now Regulators. <laughs> Let's get out of here. See you next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes podcast. We love it when you subscribe, rate, and review. You can also visit our store on Redbubble at Cover Your Eyes podcast. On Patreon. We've got an after party every week where we tell all our secrets and answer the movie mysteries that keep you up at night. It's twice the melodrama and double the fun. Find it on patreon.com backslash cover your eyes. Oh, don't forget, if you have your own memories of this movie, let us know. Email us at cover your eyes podcast at gmail.com. Come play with my horses.